Genesis chapter 18, just verse 19. The Bible says, For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Let's pray. Father God, I love and I adore you, God. I thank you for baby dedication, for family dedication, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that this message, this sermon, Father God, that you laid upon my heart, Father God, is part of what, uh, of that, that, that whole revelation, Father God, um, through your word, Father, uh, of us, of what it means to be a Christian parent, what it means to live a, a sanctified life, Father God, every day and in our families, in our homes, Father so I pray for this now, Father God. I pray, Lord, that we can that there are things in here, God, that that we must hear, that we must that we must um, take seriously, Father God, and and that we must, Lord, um, that we must really, Father God, apply in our lives. So, Father God, I pray for this now, God. I pray, Lord, that you will, God, you'll give me a, a quietness in my spirit. It's been a nervous morning, Father God. It's an anxious morning, Father. But I know, God, it's been a good morning. It's been a morning, Father God, in which while I may not have be at rest, Father. I know, Father God, that, that, that important things have been done and talked about and agreed to. I pray for that now, Father God. I pray, Lord, that, that this is a spiritual time of spiritual awakening, of biblical understanding for all of our families, God. And I pray, God, exactly what I prayed to start with, God, that you, God, would through us, Father God, bring revival through our families to this church, Lord. We love and adore you, God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Chesterton wrote this. He said, The family is the test of freedom because the family is the only thing that the free man makes for himself and by himself. Our freedom in Christ measured by the content of our families, by what our families are uh, become, by the raising of children and the building of homes. Not houses, homes. Our focal passage is both global in its impact and is really personal. It's extremely personal. It's about the worldwide dissemination of the gospel for every heart and ear to, to, to hear and respond to. There's no doubt about that. But it's also about you and I. It's about fatherhood and motherhood. It's about what these parents have vowed today and grandparents in this church has vowed to today. And it's... It's so much more. Words are command given to and about Abraham from God as the founder of a nation that he was and many nations which would follow Christ as both, both Israel and ultimately the church, the nation and the church being born through Abraham. Paul aptly defines it this way. In Galatians 3.7 he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if you're in faith, you're in a faith relationship with Christ today, a saving faith relationship, then you are a son or a daughter of Abraham. You can rightly claim him as much as anyone else. Rightly claim him as Father Abraham. So this story is your story. This story is your lineage and your inheritance. It's final fulfillment hinges on the worldwide dissemination of the truth of the gospel and also on the steady and powerful teaching of the gospel to each and every child and each and every subsequent generation. 
It is both preached and evangelized, missionalized around the globe, and it is also handed down father to son and to every generation after that. Now, to fulfill this commission of Christ for the family, we must be diligent, inspired, and faithful. Diligent. Every day. Inspired. It's not dead. This is living. This is joyous. When we do it, we enjoy imparting the gospel to our children. And it's got to be faithful. It's not hit and miss. It's not when we feel like it, when we can make time. We schedule our time around this. Other things don't take precedent. We have grown up in generations who lived for the job. Whatever the boss said, we did. And we neglected important things. We neglected the raising of children because the boss wanted us to do something different. We're going to have to answer for that. These are charges. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 11:19. He says, you, sh you shall teach them to your children. I make that point every time. The word shall is a legal term. If it says you shall pay so and so much money to the government, guess how much you pay? To the dime. And you don't negotiate. They want their money. If the Bible says you shall do something, guess what we're supposed to do? That. We shall teach them to your children. Talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Our obsession in the home is with giving the gospel to our children. That's our obsession. The overarching reason for the institution of the family is the care and protection of children through the gospel message. We will, we will do everything in the world to protect them and provide for them financially. But the kind of protection that they cannot get anywhere else is from the gospel. It's from the gospel. For the continuing proclamation of biblical truth around the globe. We do this so we can raise up different kinds of children who are not fearful of the world but will go forth armed with the gospel, ready to keep the commandments of God. We're not doing this so we can raise people locked into job and home in the same way we are held prisoners by those things. The gospel is supposed to set people free and not put them in bondage. But so many of us in this room have to admit we have been bound to things that did not matter, and yet we... But now we're being called to make our children free indeed. To not worry about those things. To not care about the matters of this world. But just about the truth of the gospel. Solomon says this in Proverbs 22.6. Very familiar. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What's in question is the quality, the, the content and the quality of the training. What have we trained them to do? What have we taught our kids is important? And what are we teaching them right now that is important? It continues. If that training is real, it's going to continue through the fulfillment of one of the most powerful single verses in the entire Bible. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
What are Christians to do? Go into the entire world and proclaim the gospel. There is no call to stay home. There's no call to avoid. There's no call to worry about your own. There's no call to say, well, there's plenty to do around here. Those are not biblical calls. The call is to the world. Always. Always to the world. We are to raise people so committed to the gospel that they will go anywhere for the truth. The family is the hub of the missional movement to win the lost everywhere they are found in every nation. Begins with the gospel. Everything about the church that succeeds begins with the gospel in the home. Everything about the church that succeeds begins with your family. If our families fail, our church fails by definition. The church cannot succeed while the family fails. But if the family succeeds, the church will always succeed. The church will always do what it's called to do. The call to parenting, missions, and evangelism is the same. And you cannot hope to fulfill one without the other. I can't be missionless. I make missional kids. I can't be evangelistic and make evangelistic kids. I can't be faithful to the gospel unless I'm making faithful to the gospel children. And let's just be blunt. We can raise kids who didn't waste part of their lives. Part of us, a significant portion of us in this room right here, wasted tons of our life, didn't we? We threw it away on ourselves, on what we wanted to do, on our passions and our angers and our bitterness and our temptations and everything. And we've had a chance to raise kids that don't do that. They don't struggle in that way. Christian homes are gospel-driven, evangelism-minded, because they're taught with and sealed by the words of the Bible. If the words of the Bible resonate in your home, there's only one way it can turn out. The words of the Bible are being preached and spoken and lived and taught in your home. There's only one kind of child you can make. The scriptural message is lived out with patience and discipline. You're, you're not perfect and your children aren't perfect. I'm not perfect and my children aren't perfect. There's patience on our part. Sometimes your children are going to do young things. They're going to make mistakes because they're young. Because this is what young people do. And you remember those days, don't you? What it's like to be young. There's patience, but there's also discipline. We have a standard in our homes. And we should, we have to be rock solid in that standard. Paul David Tripp wrote this. He said, in the family, life is brought not only to our doorstep, but into our kitchens, bedrooms, and dens. And the family life is happening all around us. And it begs to be questioned, evaluated, interpreted, and discussed. There's no more consistent, pregnant, dynamic forum for instruction about life than the family because that is exactly what God designed the family to be. A learning community. Every day is a classroom. Every meal Every movie, every family project, they're classrooms where we teach our children to be radically different people. Radically different. Christian homes do not exist without difficulties, but despite and because of difficulties. That has been the thing that's been, brought me the most sorrow in leading churches. 
has been when difficulties strike what I thought were Christian families and it tears them apart. We have the family because life's not perfect. We have the family because life is really hard and the world is incredibly mean. If the world was nice, you wouldn't need a family. You would, kids wouldn't need raising. They would need protection. They would need provision. Because the world is fallen, God's response to the plight of children in a fallen world is to give them parents. To watch out for them and raise them and teach them right. So why is it that difficulties tear families apart? I don't know. I don't know, but they can't. As we raise our children in the world as they are as they and we are victims of its problems. And that's right, as you raise them up. There are going to be times when they're victims, aren't they? When the world seems to be attacking your child. And it's going to make you furious in ways that people who don't have them don't understand. It's going to make you furious. They're also going to be tempted by its wares. There are going to be temptations. As much as you were tempted, your kids are tempted. As much as that baby seems precious and innocent, let me tell you, they are not. At all. At all. The heart within them desires one thing. Its way. And it will make an idol out of itself. Every time. We are constantly teaching our children to interpret its issues by the truth of the Scriptures. We're teaching them to guide their way through a hateful world by the truth of God. When they're picked on, we can tell them why. When they are believers and they're attacked, we know the reason why. We can show them the truth. To apply biblical learning and a Christian worldview to its problems and react to all its adverse and contradictory stimuli with the love of Christ, it hinges on the formation of a Christian worldview. And what I'm fearful is this, is that most homes are not guided by Christian worldview. They're not guided by the truth of the gospel. They're guided by the horse sense of mama and daddy. And your horse sense will condemn and never save. To be guided by Christian worldview means to take your life and your mind and submit Everything you think and you feel to biblical truth. If the Bible denies it, it is not true. If the Bible promotes it, make it a part of your life. We've got too many people running around, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe this. If the Bible teaches it and you don't believe it, you're not a Christian. Christian means to see the world God's way. To submit to God's truth. And there are far too many husbands and far too many wives, far too many mothers and fathers making it up as they go when God gave us the standard. And the standard is the Bible. You know, our, our whole goal in this continuing effort is to bring this definition of, I'm going to give you, a biblical maturity to our children as young as possible. I mean realistically. Realistically. We get really excited, really excited all the time over our babies as we see them grow. But the reality that everybody who's gone of age can tell you is this, is that they are going to grow more. And don't get excited at eight or nine 
We want to be excited at 19. It's not about being excited at 8 or 9. It's about being, being pleased with what God's doing at 20. Because you can be praising the Lord at 8 or 9 over a sweet prayer and mourning at 20. And absolutely in mourning at 20. So we're looking for this biblical maturity. I want to, Peter defines it best, and I'm going to kind of sum it up for you. Um, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now this is how I believe this applies. We can define maturity as consistent Christ-honoring living. First off, I would ask you, parents, are you biblically mature by way of, are you consistently Christ-honoring in the way you live? If you and I, me too, are not Christ-honoring consistently in the way we live, we are not mature. First aspect, aspect of it, consistently Christ-honoring in our living. Deliberate mental preparation for sharing the gospel. If you and I are not deliberately preparing and therefore sharing the gospel, then we are not biblically mature. Biblically mature people share their faith. If we aren't doing it, we aren't mature. So there's a standard we've got to live up to. We can do this. But what else? Sharing the gospel in a life which is dominated by a well-formed Christian worldview. I'm going to Add that and keep preaching it to the very end. Is everything you think submitted to what God says? Is everything you do submitted to what God says? If you do not think the way God thinks and do what God commands, then you are not biblically mature. It goes to the speaker himself. Every day I find something I have to submit and surrender. I find something, to be honest with you, that my dad or my mom or my sainted grandma told me that simply was not biblically true. Because they were people. They're men and women. And God is God. And what God pronounces is true. And displaying the hope of Jesus so we're always showing hope. We're not negative and mealy-mouthed and joyless. We're not sour and angry and bitter. We're not chasing people from the cross. So many believers out there think that the work God's doing in their lives is to make them mad, make them furious. So when they come, they come to you, they're scowling. They want to teach young families that coming to church is not something you want to do. No. We're displaying hope. Hope on display in God's people. They meet you. They see the hope of Jesus. He saved a sinner like you. He can save them too. Hope. And devoid of sectarian arrogance. You know why? Because he's there. He says, you know, with gentleness. We displayed how? With, with gentleness and respect. Because the reality is this. I hope everyone who goes to church here goes to church because you believe more than anything else that the confession of Christ Jesus from this pulpit and in its classroom is the most complete that you hear. I hope you're here for that reason. Because that's the only good reason to go to a church. 
If you've got to go to a church and make excuses for what you hear, for its incompleteness, for not being right, then you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. No, don't go to church for the people. Go to church for the message. You be in love with the people. Fall in love with them. But go to church for the message. Because that's, what, that's what's eternal. That's what's going to last. Hope, that's why you're here. But at the same time, we have no right to throw rocks at anyone else. There can be plenty of people in which we do not agree with them in the completeness of the gospel message within their midst. And we're going to love them as Jesus loves them. And we're going to work with them in times which we can find common ground. We're going to do that. We're not going to do it with arrogance. We're going to do it with anger. We're do it always with love. That's what mature Christians have. That love for others. Even if... Even if their, their knowledge isn't as complete as yours. Even if their understanding's not as complete. You love them anyway. You know, um, I know many powerful believers who manage to display most of this definition, but fail miserably in the final condition. I know a lot of guys, I haven't always been able to do that. I know a lot of guys that can't do it at all. And sadly, they all think that they pass the test. That's the problem. There's a lot of famous guys out there who, who are getting to be on TV saying this. And to be honest with you, they're failing in this verse. And they don't see it. Our goal is to raise families which succeed where even the famous have fallen. How will Christ accomplish this today through your family? Look, I'm going to walk through Genesis 18, 19 and show you five truths that I think are vital. Five truths in Genesis 18, 19. First, for I've chosen it. As believers in Christ Jesus, we have confirmation that we are chosen by God to lead Christian homes. When God saves you, His vision for you is Christian parenting. In some way or some fashion. In some ways it doesn't always look the same as others. Some people are called upon to have a tribe of children. And some people are never blessed with children at all. But yet the call to raise up the next generation is just as powerful in their lives as on ours. And some of you will be blessed with, with children and never see grandchildren. And the call is just as vital to pour your heart into the children of the church as it is on those grandparents who are biologically related to them. Just as much. As the Lord chose Abraham out of the entire human race to be the father of many nations, God has chosen men and women in this room to bear the glory of His truth to the world. Through the establishing and leading of Christian homes. God chose you. This is deliberate. He didn't have to bless you with children. He didn't have to bless you with adopted children. He didn't have to bless you with biological children. He did not. He chose by deliberate action of His hand to bless you with a child. And with that comes every promise He makes and all conditions and every command. It's not alone. It's not a game. Chosen fathers and mothers are the linchpins of the Christ-centered effort to bring the gospel to the world. The church, a, excuse me, the family, a function of the sovereignty of God. God's deliberate action, His plan before the foundation of the world was that you would come to Christ, you would meet each other, you would fall in love, you would become married, you would produce children, and that is part of growing the kingdom. It was not accidental, and you're not together because he's cute or she's cute. You are in Christian marriage, in covenant marriage, because God brought you together. Direct action of the sovereignty of God.
to be honest with you, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. How do you know that's the one chosen for you? You married them. Because the covenant stands whether you mean it or not. Because you didn't promise her anything. You didn't promise him anything. You promised God everything. That's why when we were dedicating babies, I said it was a blood oath. Because you've taken a blood oath before. You just didn't know it, most of us. Until it was too late. Paul explains our standing as believers this way in Ephesians 1, 4-5. When he writes, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption of Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. This was His will. By virtue of receiving gospel truth as a lost sinner, being regenerated by the efforts of the Holy Spirit, repenting of sins and believing the gospel, you have certainty that Christ has beckoned you from the world for His great purposes. This truth must not be limited to the church as it is defined in Scripture, born again and baptized in truth. As you hear today, the entire gathered congregation, the very fact that you're able to entertain the truth of the gospel intellectually may mean that this verse is unexpectedly true for you. The fact that you can sit here right now and even nod along means that God's plan is at work right now in this room, every atom where it belongs. Nothing left astray. God does not have butterfingers. He never drops anything, not a subatomic particle. Not anything. This may mean that Christ is convicting you of sins and calling to you, offering eternal life right now. Look, why nod your head in agreement when you can submit your ransomed heart in salvation to Christ Jesus? So many people nod along and amen, and what they need to be saying is, Oh, me is my Lord and my God. Call to Jesus this moment, and He will hear you. There's no doubt about that. Call to Jesus today, and He hears. Two, that He may command His children and His household. Of course, the emphasis in this quotation is mine. You see it on the paper. But it's necessary for the truth to be made the clearer to our hearts. Fathers are uniquely responsible to Christ for the future faith of their children and the family. Fathers. The term which we must use is headship. And it is the biblical definition of fatherhood and listen to a large extent motherhood also. Sam Storms wrote this. He said, Some of you may think that a husband can get away with whatever he wants in the name of headship. As if that word or concept endorses and encourages his sinful behavior. Such that the wife has no recourse but to submit to his dictatorial and destructive ways. I and I trust all complementarians, this one especially, utterly reject and grieve over such a terrible distortion and misapplication of the principles addressed in this study. No. No. Headship does not mean husband, you can do what you want. Headship means you're responsible. Headship means God's going to judge you. It means you're going to be standing, as we say in the Navy, standing fast before the man. That means one day you're going to stand before your God. He's going to judge you for how you've conducted your marriage and how you've been a father. And if you don't want that, if your single man in this room doesn't want that, don't get married. Don't have children. 
because God's going to judge us all. The reason why this is so important is because I have to warn men that judgment waits. Judgment waits. The sinfulness of husbands must be addressed for the success of the family. Husbands, if we are sinful, the family's sinful. Husbands, if we are lost, the family's lost. Husbands, listen to me. If we are faithless, unfaithful, distracted, casual about everything that matters, that's what kind of children we will raise beyond a doubt. They will not overcome your problems. They will manifest your problems. Your life will become their legacy. I'm not going to use the general term for this parenting because it's important for that. But parenting is involved. Listen, while the job and the duties and the success of Christian parenting as it pertains to headship is a two-person effort, no husband can hope to succeed in gospel parenting without a dutiful, faithful, wise, strong, and compassionate wife. You can't. Husbands, we will fail without a wife that fulfills all those characteristics. And when you have one, you praise God for her. And if she's struggling, you pray for her and you help her. The ultimate responsibility for the home is that of the father. As Solomon writes in Proverbs 27, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. As fathers, do we walk in personal integrity? As mothers also, is our life defined by an unwavering commitment to the Word of God? Is that your definition? If they bury you today, will they say, My dad believed the Bible. My dad lived the Bible. Or will they have to stand over your grave making excuses for you? Oh well. Will your preacher have to preach you to heaven? Shame if it's that way. Fathers and mothers. If we walk in integrity of the word, our children will surely follow. If not, then they're going to find their own path, folks. They're going to make their own way. Husbands and fathers will be judged for the content of our households. Now, don't look to your wife for blame. Man, if I had a better wife, if she was... If she was, would help me more, or do this, or do that, whatever. Whatever. The Bible never says that, does it? The Bible looks squarely at us fathers and points a finger and says, you will live up to this. Support your wife in every task that's laid unfairly upon her. Let's just be honest, in every, house, in every home in this, in this church right now, there are lots of tasks that are heaped on the shoulders of the mom that are unfairly placed there. There are a lot of them. Love her as Christ loves the church. Guide her when she's no clue what to do. Moms, you often have no clue what to do, right? You're often... Helpless and hopeless, aren't you? Husbands can help. 
Husbands can be calming influences, can't they, when they want to be. Husbands can talk you down off the ledge, can't they, when they want to. There's a reason why God blessed you with them. Because when they are godly, they are a blessing, aren't they? A very great blessing. In other words, be a husband and father in the loving image of Jesus. As John Piper defined when he wrote, he said, Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. None of that sounds dictatorial. None of that sounds like you get your way in everything. It sounds like you're a leader. The leader does what's best for the family. He doesn't always get his way. The leader's trusting because they know he's trying to do what's best for them. As fathers today, we have to take responsibility for the home or we will have divine culpability for it. Judgment comes to those fathers who ignore what is important in favor of the things of this world which matter not eternally. Three, very short, after him. What a powerful prepositional phrase. The call is to leadership for mothers and fathers, but the primary responsibility for leading children in the path which must be traveled is on the shoulders of the husband and the father. We're walking this path ahead of them. The Lord commands this most clearly in Psalm 78, 5-8, which says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Look, the focus of the gospel, the church, and the Christ and her family is always on subsequent generations. The goal is always to raise godly children and grandchildren. We're together so we can bring about these godly kids who want to do things we never dared to do, who go places we never dreamed of going. That's what we want. Kids who don't make our mistakes, don't turn their back on God. That's what we want. The only method by which this can be accomplished for fathers and mothers is to be gospel-obsessed witnesses and servants during their formative years. You've got to get it right before they are grown. You've got to get it right before they move out. And you have no more influence over them. Moms and dads, we've got to have our ship by way of the rudder pointed directly at the hope of glory. Because if we do not... If we do not, they'll be out there living their life the way they want to. They'll be following the world and not following Jesus. We don't have time to struggle while they're little. We've got to get this right now. Unfortunately, this mandate is true whether we want to accept it or not. The children with which we have been blessed will mimic our example. If we're faithless, we'll have children who struggle with the Christian faith. And how many parents out there are teaching their kids faithlessness? They want to say one thing. They sing Bible songs with them and do everything in the world. But they're teaching their kids to be faithless. If they're drunken and carousing, then our children will follow the only example that we've set for them. Now here's the problem. 
You know this. Because everybody in this room is old enough to know somebody who when we met their, when their kids got grown, we say in them either out loud or in our heads, they're acting just like their daddy. They're acting just like their mama. We've seen this lived out time and time again. People who've cursed their children to wind up exactly the way they are. Exactly the way they are. Children will follow the only example that we've set for them. The inherent nature of children is to follow adults. Even when they reject momentarily our example in Christ, it is terrifyingly true that they are falling under someone's influence. They're going to be under someone's influence. The responsibility of the fathers, the mothers, and the family of God is to set Christian examples for the children of this church. All of us, not just the parents, and not just the grandparents, the aunts and the uncles, all of us right here are going to dedicate ourselves to live out a Christian example for kids to see that aren't even ours. Because they're watching. And they'll use you as justification for not doing what the Bible commands. You're being watched, all of you. When you bicker and are negative, when you set a bitter and a negative example at church, guess what the kids want to do? That. Because they think it's right. Because they're not wise. They think it's okay. You teach that behavior to your children. When you treat the gathering of the people of God worship casually, you play on your phone or you're daydreaming or whatever, then guess what? Guess what they think is right? To do that. Why wouldn't they? You're the lesson. We're teaching children a sorrowful example. There are people in, this, in, this, in our congregation that are teaching their kids to skip church. Plainly said. What example do you expect them to learn? All of us are examples. Decide today if you're going to be a Christian, a Christ-honoring leader, leader or a pattern which leads our precious children astray. Decide today. Decide. Four, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. The Christian life is not merely a verbal and plenary confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Absolutely, it is what we say and what we believe that echoes into eternity, but our actions must speak as loudly as our words in declaration of the glory of God. If your words say one thing and your deeds say another, then that is hypocritical. That's the very definition of hypocrisy. We are those who are called by Christ to adhere to His principles and keep His word. As James stated in James 1.22, which says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. As people, we can intellectually embrace all sorts of doctrines, stances, convictions, and movements. But it is the true Christian believers who have submitted hearts and minds and works to Christ Jesus. If you're real, your works show it. As born-again men and women... We do not change our behavior to try and curry favor with Christ Jesus as a method of earning our salvation. To the contrary, as called, chosen, regenerate Christians, our behavior is changed because we've received new hearts and new spirits. The writer of Hebrews, among virtually every New Testament author, espouses the idea when he writes in Hebrews 13, 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The inclusion of good works in your life in the life of the new believer is a function of the intentional efforts of heart and mind bolstered by the teaching 
of the Word of the Bible and made possible the action of God in making a person born again. Born again produces that. Produces that. As fathers and mothers, it's our job to lead the entire household, the tribe with which we've been blessed, created miraculously from two distinct bloodlines to faithful obedience to Christ in everyday actions. Your life, mom and dad, teaches obedience to your children or teaches disobedience. Five, finally, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. As children of Abraham, the true and living church of Christ Jesus, we are inheritors of promise in provision, nation, family, and an everlasting life. Our raising of our children and families reflects our salvation. Do you hear that? How you raise your kids reflects your salvation. Our biblical beliefs and convictions and the ending destination of our souls. Because we are heaven bound, we're going to raise our kids heaven bound. We are heaven's children and we are to live and parent as if we belong only in glory. How? How can we do this? How can you do this? Commit yourself today to live only for Christ. Simple enough. If you're in this room today, you're responsible for children or family, you want to be an influence, commit yourself today to you're going to live only for Jesus. Stop living for yourself. Stop living for everything that you convince yourself is important, but you know is not. If you never believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then surrender, submit, repent, and believe before it's too late. If you are lost today, and God is stirring your heart, awakening your heart today on this topic, then surrender today in salvation. If you admit that your love for your children has not led to raising them in a Christian way, then repent of that. There are going to be moms and dads in this room who have to repent of the very love they've had for their kids because it was the wrong love. They love them the way the world loves them. Lost men and women could do what they did. And they need to repent of their love and seek Christ-centered love for their children. Commit yourself to raising Christ-adoring children today. Do it, please, before it's too late.